Welcome to the Born and Raised Audio Experience. Presented by Onyx. Goodness gracious, time flies. Does fly. Time flies. Guys, welcome back to uh, another episode. We've kind of taken a little little hiatus, a little, little, little break time. It's been a lot going on lately with... Um, just coming off of elk season and then all of the deer hunting that we tried to do and then all the duck hunting started. And now uh, comes the my favorite time, one of my favorite times of the year, is fishing season. So today we got in, uh, in the studio. Today we've got a, a great guy. Anyway, his name's Chris. He's from the Northwest Steelheaders. And Chris got in touch with me. What did you contact me about? I don't know, forever ago, it seemed like. A little bit ago, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, oh, man, we're busy, we're busy. And, and anyway, it all made good sense now. To, you're down here, and we're going we're gonna to throw a podcast together and just kind of see where you guys are at. Uh, I got to go fish for the first time. Steelhead the other day. It was Lucky awesome. Duck. Lucky duck. Yeah, had a Jealous. blast. Yeah, caught some fish. It was really, really good. So, But anyway, just kind of give us a brief background, Chris, on, on your... What you're doing, what Northwest Steelheaders are doing, um, yeah, I'm just going to open it up. Let it rip. Cool. Well, first off, thanks, guys, for, for having me on here and, and giving the opportunity to talk about Steelheaders and Steelhead Fishing. Um, again, my name's Chris. Uh, I'm the executive director for the Association Northwest Steelheaders. We are uh, an angling advocacy and conservation nonprofit here in the Pacific Northwest, um, out, of, uh, out of Portland, Oregon. That's where the main headquarters is at? Or, yeah, Milwaukee. Gotcha. Portland okay. Metro area. Okay. Um, and we've actually been around since 1960. So wow. it's our 60th anniversary this year. Um, awesome. And we've been uh, pivotal in a lot of uh, conservation efforts over the year uh, years, um, specifically Columbia River reforms, uh, gillnet removal on the Columbia, um, pinniped removal, um, angling advocacy, uh, and, and kind of an onslaught of, of a lot of conservation work. Um, so yeah, that's where, that's where we're at right now. That's awesome. How many people work out of the office or how does that work? So we have a, we have a small office right now. Uh, we have about three employees, um, a couple of part-time employees, uh, and then a board, uh, of directors that are volunteer based that are, are really great. But we have a, about 1800, um, members within our constituency. Wow. Across okay. Uh, okay. Oregon and, and Washington and a little bit in Idaho too. What so. are you guys' outlets as far as what do you guys, do you have uh, social media stuff or that, that way you give presence to what's going on? I know we'll cover this at the last of it too, just so people can kind of hear what, where, where to find you guys. Yeah. You can find us right now on NorthwestSteelheaders.org. Uh, we have, uh, you know, Twitter, uh, Facebook and Instagram, Northwest Steelheaders. Um, our website right now is in a little bit of a, a fickle state, so uh, <laughs> be waiting for the for the actual new one to come back out here in the next week. Um, but other than that, yeah, you can find us basically on all, all platforms, just under Northwest Steelheaders. Sweet, yeah. sweet, sweet. Yeah. Well, let's dive in. We got Weston here as well. Uh, I think that was I thought that was important when you when you talked to me earlier. One thing that really stood out was you wanted to talk uh, heavily on getting new anglers out. And 
what we do at Born and Raised here is, and you mentioned it when you were talking on the phone to me, and, and it was it was it was kind of powerful. You said like breaking down barriers. People think sure. that this is the fish of a thousand casts, or this they think. You know what I mean? I I right. think that's been stated before on on certain things, and and um, it, it is it's actually more doable than people would ever imagine if you just kind of just get out there and do it. And this is kind of what we what our our. I guess our motto, I guess you could say on elk hunting as well, or anything hunting or outdoors is anybody can do it. You just got to just get out there and do it. What are you guys doing to kind of ease the person into that and make that transition a lot, lot simpler for them? Yeah. So we kind of pride ourselves on being a hub for education, for uh, intro to steelheading, intro to fishing, just in general. Um, we really feel that if we, like, just like you said, break down barriers and kind of break down fishing, uh, we can get more people out there and uh, love the resource and, and actually, you know, turn them into passionate anglers um, and then also, you know, possibly get them into conservation. And so with that, we actually um, do a handful of projects or programs that we've been working on the last, uh, I don't know, anywhere from five to ten years. Um, anywhere from Steelhead 101 clinics where we partner with ODFNW to really break down the basics, nice. you know, anywhere from, you know, rod setup to um, breaking down the river, looking at seams, um, you know, not tying, uh, all the different techniques within steelhead fishing from uh, bobber dogging to, you know, flow, um, jig, uh, bait, you know, a little sure. bit of everything. Sure. Um, and then we also have other education programs where we look at, kind of, uh, you know, intro for kids. So we have, um, you know, family fish camp, uh, which we do every year, which allows us to kind of, uh, actually gravitate towards, um, a more diverse community or better yet underserved communities within Oregon Mm -hmm. and the Pacific Northwest. Um, as an organization, we've recognized that our constituent base right now, our membership base doesn't reflect the angling and hunting community for that, for that matter. Um, and so we, we understand that there's, um, underserved communities that are active within not only conservation, but within angling. And so to be able to bring broad groups together, show them how to fish, um, uh, give them resources and tools and the confidence to actually, uh, you know, after they leave our education program to get out on the river, but for themselves, yeah. uh, and get a rod in their hands and, and be an active, active angler. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Go ahead. Uh, Something I've I've heard from like ODFW, they're doing this initiative with deer right now, where their their number one thing that they want to retain a hunter and to keep get a hunter like really interested is for them to have success. So sure. they've done a bunch of things to where it's easier to shoot a deer for pretty much anybody, right. you know. But so what I was wondering is like, what is there out there that is gonna help people catch a fish? If that's you know what I mean, like yeah, like literally that's. That's a one way to Dynamite. get people. Absolutely, yes. You Probably know, not a technique. No, you guys no use. comment on that. Yeah, yeah, no comment. Probably not a technique you guys use often. No, but no, totally. I, but I mean, so ODF and W, they 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 uh, dropped it from. You can shoot a spike now yeah. from a fork and horn. Sure. So I mean, it's and just, that's a whole other conversation. It, yeah, it, talk it, about. Oh man, yeah. yeah. I'm not. I'm not. I'm just saying that they're they're which, trying to wrangle opportunity, right? Absolutely. And so, like, my thing is, is well, where I was going to suggest, which it might not even be anything, but there's this thing called, it's called deer cast. And so it basically breaks down the state and the weather and the rut activity. And I was thinking like, 
Man, as someone who doesn't know how to, number one, read rivers well. Number right. two, I don't know what the conditions are of a river that's an hour and a half away. I don't know any of this information. To me, like something that's missing is a, I don't know if it's a website or a group or whatever, that's all they're doing is giving the information of water clarity is at this right now on right. this river. It's at this level. It's one website or location, if you will, of all the stockpiled information of what's live and current. Right. And that is what I would say the hardest the hardest thing to be is. But like as someone who's someone who hasn't done it a ton, like when I was younger, I was on the boat all the time with my dad and uncle and everything. But I mean, they just told me cast there and then set the hook, set the hook and I right. have fish on, right. you know. Right. To then fast We're still forward. doing that with you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So fast forward to this last year, you know, and getting back in the boat, I mean, it was freaking awesome. Yeah. And we caught a ton of fish. So, but I'm still a novice. And sure. So it's like, it's that, almost like, how do you make that next step? Right. Right. And, or it's even like, you know, when you're talking to like even bringing a, a first person, a first timer out and they catch their first fish and you can see in their eyes and they're like, they're hooked. Right. How do you make that step? Um, and I think there's like a lot, there's, I mean, just like anything, just like hunting, right. It, there's a lot of pieces to the pie. And mm. so, I mean, it, there's a part knowledge base, there's a part getting your, you know, having the confidence to do it, but then also surrounding yourself with, um, friends, uh, and individuals and mentors that are really willing to take you and teach you. Um, and but, that's honestly a lot of it, man. I mean, he, yeah. it, it, that goes, I, I'm stemming that from like the hunting situation. We get a ton of emails and one of the most asked is like, how do I find a good hunting partner? How do I find, you know, and it's just like, I wish I could tell you, you know, you just need to call this number and say, Hey, I need a hunting partner and they'll give right. you one. No, it's, 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 it's one of those things where you go to like, like you go to salmon, you go, you go to, um, Northwest steelheaders and you look at that kind of stuff and then right. go to a place where there's fellow anglers and it start it from there. You know, I would assume. Right. Right. And, and, and so, and you know, in the kind of an older model and not an older model, but what still a lot of conservation groups, um, and, and nonprofits do is like they have chapters, right. And they mm, have, yeah, they yeah. have chapter meetings, mm -hmm. um, which we do have, but we also have like social nights, social pint nights where we're going to talk about fishing, but you're also going to meet a lot of people yeah. there that's open to the public and you're going to meet people that are either in the same space or, or, or wanting to take uh, new buddies out that are willing and wanting to wake up at four, three in the, three in the morning, head out to the coast and, and try and catch some fish. And so I think it's really just putting one, being able to put yourself out there, mm -hmm. um, and, and, and get to these, uh, communities, whether that's with Northwest Steel Hutters or another group that actually has these social events. And so, you know, take a little digging time on the internet, uh, um, and, and find a group within your area, within, um, your community that, that meets on a regular basis and, and just go and strike up conversations. Right. And that's, that's the, and that's the gift I think we have now, as you just said, it is the internet. I mean, mm -hmm. yeah, it's a it's a gift and a curse. Don't get me wrong; it can be a bad thing too. But there's so much information out there on how to rig a bobber. How to, you know what I mean? I mean, there is a ton. We we've tried to go over a lot of lessons um, in last year in the steelhead kind of thing and how we do our certain rig ups and stuff. But I mean, there's a ton of different YouTube channels out there. There's a ton of different things that you can information that you can learn without even being on the water. Right. Right. So I know you can do. YouTube for tying jigs. I mean, yeah, going back yeah. to what Wes was saying about information about, you know, river systems. Yeah, there's a, there's a big part of being there that you're not going to be able to see what the actual conditions are too. But right. also, 
a lot of people don't know like USGS, right? Noah. Also has flow. Yeah, Noah yeah. has flows all the time, and and they're recording that stuff. Um, and unless somebody tells you that, or unless you're proactive and really start digging on online, no one's really gonna let you know that that's where you get your information for that. And unless you go to like your local sportsman's warehouse, I mean, they usually have flows for local areas, but sometimes, yeah, that's sometimes yeah, I, I it's not really up to date. It's not up to date with no. even in the month. I don't think <laughs> I walked over there. I was just in sportsman's warehouse and said, no, the conditions are not this. I live on the river and it's definitely not like right. that. Right. When I first started out, what I did is I kept a fishing journal. And so it was a journal that I kept for, and, and, and even I didn't have internet when we first started, but it, it came along afterwards. And, and then once I got into my journal, I would just write down, okay, that's about the highest I wanted to fish it. I'd go to a river and be like, man, that is about blowed out. It's about the highest I want. So jot down that CFS or that how many feet it was or whatnot. And then you can go back and reference, okay, it's this much right now. Tomorrow might be good, might not, you know. So it, there's a lot of that stuff that, that you can proactively do yourself right. and um, and get into and, and um, learn it for yourself rather than just saying, well, I, I don't have anybody that will tell me what to do. I, I can't go fishing a day. And yeah, and that can't be an excuse, you know, no. and it's like, and a lot of that's really great, but just like what your journal does, like you were there, right? You were there sure. on yeah, the water, yeah. Yeah. you were able to get outside. And if people don't actually make the step to get on the side of a bank or a river bank, like then they're not going to really be able to see the conditions that people are fishing in, see yeah. the conditions that people are catching fish. Um, because I mean, a lot of us can read, you know, you know, CFS or cubic feet per second per river, um, but not know what that even means or even looks like, especially yeah. if they're if they're really starting into fishing or yeah. or, or steelhead fishing and or salmon fishing. So, absolutely, absolutely. So, yeah. Let's delve into more of the um, oh the controversial side oh, of All things. Right. Here we go. Here we go. Hatchery. I just said it. Nope. I said it out loud. Nope. I said it out loud. Hatchery systems. What is what is Northwest Steelers' take on hatchery systems? So since our uh, inception, we've been a pro hatchery um, organization, uh, and more specifically, pro hatchery improvement. Um, we recognize that recreational opportunity depends on a on a resource, and right now, the state of Oregon. Um, has a declining resource of salmon and, and steelhead. And so is that been the trends? It has been the trends. Really? Yeah. Okay. It's, I mean, you can look at it's uh, it, it's a cyclical. It goes up and down, but it's been a downward trend for, for a number of years now. Has it really? Yeah. Okay. And okay. so, yeah, there's a ton of active um, efforts to conserve our wild populations. Um, but it's like I was talking to you, Trent, earlier. It's it's kind of like a give and take or it's, it's, a, it's a, a cyclical solution where hatcheries, um, you know, provide a resource uh, and recreational opportunity. Without recreation opportunity, we wouldn't have anglers. And without anglers, we wouldn't have conservation. Yeah. And so um, for anybody that doesn't know, when you break into uh, the contra- conservation realm, especially with ODFNW and their funding model, at least of, as of right now, uh, shooting and fishing sports um, – are taxed um, as well as our uh, licenses, and all that funding goes back into ODFNW for conservation projects. Yeah. And so, without recreational opportunity, um, we don't have a conservation funding source. And so, hatcheries, in this sense, is is, is recreational opportunity. And so, without that, you know, it's we're we're a lost cause. 
Yeah. No, I, hunters and fishers are the biggest conservationist group out there. I mean, hands down. Definitely. That and then the Pittman Robertson. Yeah. No, yeah, that's Pittman true. Robertson, too. Yeah. Dingle Johnson. Yeah. You know, if we start looking into, and, you know, that's going to be. You know, with the Recovering America's Wildlife Act, I don't know if you guys are aware of, of that whole process right now. Not that one. Mm-hmm. But so with uh, Rawa, it's, a, it's short. Um, if it gets if it gets passed in D.C., um, there was a House bill uh, that was passed here in the state that basically um, allows for funding from America or Recovering America's Wildlife Act um, to go into an Oregon Recreation and Conservation Fund. Um, which will be se- separate from our conservation dollars through hunting and angling. Mm. And so it actually provides a new revenue source for conservation, which will actually, you know, theori- theoretically take off the pressure from ODFNW to kind of, you know, react to all the different pieces of the pie that they have to f- uh, fund conservation for mm-hmm. um, and actually, you know, potentially have them focus on game species more and, and, um, Interesting. and, and wildlife. Um, but at the same time, you know, the Oregon Conservation Fund could potentially, you know, fund steelhead and salmon and, and right. elk and deer and, and everything like that too. So it's a, it's a, it's a win-win moving forward, and it's going to be interesting if, if everything goes as planned. Sweet. So, but yeah, back to hatcheries. Um, right now we're we're in a we're in a state with where we can't really fish without them. It's just not enough. Just not enough. Um, resource out there, huh? Not enough wild resource. The wild population wow. is not sustainable for uh, our Oregon, for for Oregon, for the Pacific Northwest, and and what's I mean, the factors there? What's the what? I mean, obviously, there's a boatload of factors: yeah, ocean I mean, upwellings, um, sea lions. We touched on, which I would like to touch on a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, what what has been the factors in not being able to produce a quality um, strong run of fish? Um, a lot of it goes back to um, the innovation of canning um, and decimating our populations. Back in the day, we used to be, Garibaldi used to be the uh, salmon um, hotspot of the world back in the day. Can you, like No one can even imagine that now when we barely even have a commercial fishery here in Oregon. It was... Um, Gangbusters. It was gang like it was like lights out, like canneries going all off the charts, like pumping out hundreds and thousands of tons of fish, processed fish. Or, and there was no regulation. There as was far no regulation. As, yeah, there's yeah. no quotas or nothing. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. so it was um, uh, poor foresight then on on a, what we thought was a renewable resource since they came back every single year. Yeah. Right. Um, right. And because of that, we've been playing catch up. Um, and then when you you know, and how far back are we talking? Oh, I, I would have to look at. No, I want to say early, eighteen hundred or sorry, late eighteen hundreds. Oh, really? Okay. Um, okay. Right before like industrial revolution. Yeah. Um, but I could be wrong, so don't quote me on that. But um. But then, so as we're playing catch up through the years and up to now, now we're having a driving force where we have, um, a greater population of people. So uh, influx of pollution and, and poor quality for water uh, and habitat mm. on a lot of our rivers and streams. Um, we have uh, climate change knocking at our door. Um, and basically, as we see uh, warmer temps within our water, you know, it's not ideal spawning conditions. And so it's, it's, it's basically a conglomerate of issues that steelhead and salmon are facing 
for survival. Gotcha. And it's, you know, and, and if we don't do, can, or if we don't continue on a, on an upward trend, which we're not right now, we're going to, you know, potentially be like a new California where we, they barely even have a fishing season. It, this salmon season was bad Yeah. here. I mean, it, this last year was, well, even right now, it's like look they, at steelhead right now. Like we didn't get any rain, right? Right. Until the last like month. Right. Then it's monsooned. And, and you know, for it's a fisherman, like, it's blown out. So yeah. Yeah. And then at the same time, it's like you hear about even 15 years ago when, um, I mean, I have, I have, I used to catch them on, I used to catch them on Thanksgiving day. Exactly. That's exactly what I was going to say. Thanksgiving all morning. The time. Yeah. yeah. Grandma's swimming hole, Thanksgiving Day, always. And that's badass. But it was awesome. Yeah. It was awesome. But I don't think you could see a fish before the first of the year now. No. And it's depressing. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it is different. Totally different. But touch on, too, you were telling me a story a little bit ago about uh, sea lions. Um, so where we live, you go out on the coast, and it's just, I mean... I, I've fished the Rogue River for quite a few years. I haven't in a little while, but um, man, it's it is unbelievable how the sea lions can know exactly where you're fishing. You hook up, and your your fish is gone. You know, right. you get a head back or whatever. You know, and um, <laughs> anyway, and so tell us what the steps that you guys have been making in order to kind of kind of uh, alleviate that a little bit. Yeah, so it's sea lions are in. in so pinnipeds, um, which sea lions fall under, so pinnipeds are, you know, um, harbor seal, sea lions, and all that type of stuff. Um, they are a really touchy subject. They're oh, big, sure. they're big-eyed and bushy-tailed. You know, they're cute to look at, and so God, I think they're ugly as. <laughs> <laughs> That's just me, though. <laughs> I've never seen one mounted, though. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason for that, they have a they have a federal actual. Um, uh, protection on them. Oh, do they? Yeah, and so even tribal. Uh, I don't know about tribal. I don't. I have no idea. I, I just. I was just wondering because I know back then. I mean, back in the you know, I know tribes used to use sea lions for a lot of things. You know, oh for sure, Indian tribes yeah. and so. Yeah, but I'm sure that's been a long time. Probably since the late 1800s when we started killing all the fish. Right. So it's a. Uh, it's interesting because you know going back to the reason why we're talking about sea lions is is that they. They do a number on uh, salmon and steelhead populations each year. Yeah. Um, and going back to kind of like the the sources of decline in salmon and steelhead wild populations, um, you know, fish passage is one of the biggest barriers for salmon and steelhead. Mm-hmm. Um, and dams are, 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 are some of the like legitimate dams are, are actual barriers for salmon and steelhead passage and a lot of those dams don't have either integrated um uh fish ladders or any way to get these fish back up to spawning grounds anyways getting off track but because of that you know sea lions are actually you know give them credit they're they're pretty smart animals you oh, know man. They, they will uh they're working smarter not harder exactly right they'll they're, follow pot they'll follow yeah. fish uh schools yeah. of fish um and you know talking about the willamette um, up in uh, the Willamette Falls, right? Mm-hmm. You have, um, for the longest time, we had 33 resident sea lions that you know came from a learned trait where they just followed uh, followed uh, schools up to the Willamette Falls and realized that that was a barrier that these fish were just schooling up for, and it was you know it was a buffet. Um, and so we've Northwest Steelheaders have been uh, and successfully um, pushing legislation to have lethal removal of those sea lions um, and actually were, was successful in that 
uh, this past uh, spring. And just to throw out a couple numbers, um, the year before, I think it was like 2018, 2017, um, there was about 58, 59 steelhead that went over the one. 59 f- steelhead. Individual, yeah. 59 steelhead. For the river. For the entire river. System. Went uh, over the Willamette Falls up to spawning grounds. That next spring. Um, After sea lion ratification. Yeah, so the, well, af- yeah, so once that, that next spring in 2019, so this past year, 33 sea lions were lethally removed. Um, and immediately over 3,000 steelhead went over the falls to spawning grounds. And so it's like that immediate conser- conservation gratification is there. It's just people don't realize it. Sure, sure. I'll trade 33 sea lions for 3,000 steelhead. <laughs> <laughs> to me, that's just a no-brainer. Yeah. I mean, it really is. I, I mean, I don't... No, it is, but it's hard to, di- to get all those ducks in a row to be able to do that. Oh, my... Yeah, I like can't the, imagine. I'm sure Legislation, I'm sure the litigation, oh, the federal and state agencies. I'm sure the protesting was huge. Oh, yeah, and there's, you know, there's always people... Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a specific place where sea lions were taken out, and so there would be people standing that could basically almost see what happened, but that's a different subject. But yeah, so it's like, um, but it worked, it worked, right? I mean, that's the whole thing. It's, and and it's, it's the coolest thing is that they were there 10 to 11 months out of the year. Um, and they haven't been, no sea lions have been to the falls um, since they were, uh, were removed. Oh really? Yeah. Interesting. So it's a, it's a learned trait. Mm. So it's, um, 10 to 11 months out of a year sitting at a banquet table. Yeah, exactly. It's crazy. Getting fat. Yeah. But now we're now we're moving for um, legislation for the Columbia River uh, up in Bonneville. So I, I, you know, and I've seen stuff, news articles and stuff like the sea lions have taught themselves how to get sturgeon, dive clear down and kill sturgeon. Yeah, correct. They do that on the Willamette too. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It was. It's pretty amazing to see a giant sturgeon in a sea lion's mouth. Oh, it's crazy. It's nuts to me to even think about that, but it, it's. That happens, right? It happens all the time. And so they're not only doing that number not, on the sturgeon. That's within the last while, right? Um, I don't, I don't, I would imagine. It just seemed like it to me. I, I, I didn't, I, you know, I don't know. I, that's what I think I read somewhere. It's just within the last, I can't remember how many years that they've been doing it. Yeah, you're probably right. And it's, it's more of, um, it wasn't really brought to the public's attention until now. Right. Because, I mean, sea lions are in the mouth of the Columbia all the time and there's sturgeon in the mouth of Columbia. Right. And so that was probably a, a food source there, but it just wasn't, you know, that big of a deal because it's always been there. Yeah. And there's actually sea lions in the ocean where they're supposed to be. Right. And so um, I think now it's like uh, ODFNW as well as Washington uh, fishing game is starting to realize, oh, oh crap, like they're starting to do a number on not only, you know, salmon and steelhead, but sturgeon as well. So yeah. Crazy, man. Welcome to the party. Well, at the same time, you got to give them credit. They're, they're adapting. I know, right? <laughs> oh, they're like, oh, I'm, I'm they, they, just, they're seizing opportunity. Yeah, right? they are. It's I mean, like, if I'm a sea lion, I'm headed to the falls. <laughs> I, I would too. Yeah. But oh. I think like all of this, all of the factors that are contributing to the slow decline of overall numbers, I think we as sportsmen and then as people who just want the once wild things and I guess, game species to thrive more. I think we owe it to the species and fish and other people that want opportunities to have hatchery programs. Like, to me. Yeah, like to me, no. And then, 
and then like my I don't maybe I have this wrong, but factory not factory fish, farm fish not farm. <laughs> Hatchery fish? Hatchery fish. <laughs> I can. Where are we on last? I, I for some reason couldn't remember it. Gotcha. Hatchery fish will brew, I guess, lay wild fish, correct? Correct. And so that's then, and that's the so big then, debate. That's the big debate. What is a wild fish anymore? You know, that's the that's the big beta, debate of people, you know, people that don't like hatcheries between people that do. You can't separate the two, right? They're, right? they're still a fish. They go up, they spawn with wild fish. So it's now that fish that they make or those eggs that they lay. Are those wild eggs or are those hatchery eggs? And so that's the big debate. And, and I, I can't get into it because I honestly don't know a ton about, you know, the ins and outs of, of the political stances on it. But at the same time, that's part of the debate. I guess for me, it's like, are we creating, are we decimating the wild run by creating hatchery fish? Just see what I'm saying? Correct. Even if we shut off all the hatcheries and everything from here on out is wild, are those really wild fish? Hmm. So, and that's like, and, it, and, and I don't want to touch on your too definition much. of wild, I guess. Correct. Right. Because it, yeah. to me, a fish that's born in the river right. and doesn't touch a hatchery right. is a wild fish, whether it's, whether, but that's just to me. I mean, my opinion is just one of, I'm sure, millions, but. Yeah, and it just goes down to like genetics and then like 100%. going back to mm-hmm. like, are we just like basically. Um, I don't want, I don't want to get anyway, too yeah, far in the yeah, weeds yeah, yeah, yeah. here. I don't want to get too far in the weeds, but that's kind of the, that's, that's one of the debates. It, that's on just the like two. a touchy subject that we don't even need to get to. No. <laughs> and it's, and I don't really have an answer for it is the thing. I really don't. So mm-hmm. it's like, I just like to catch more fish. Same. Exactly. Right. That's, that's and I'd like, like more fish to be there for everybody. Correct. Right. Whether correct. they're wild hatchery or whatever. Yeah. But, and, that, and that's what I was talking to Chris about a little bit ago when you first showed up as, as far as like opportunity. Right. So back in the day, it seemed like there was more opportunity. Oh, and, I, sure. and, I, and I'm saying back in the day, I'm saying, I don't know. 15 years ago, 20 years ago, yeah. it just seemed like there was a lot of opportunity where there was a lot of hatchery fish mm-hmm. in cricks. And anyway, and, and so systems would actually, it, it was more fishable. And there's rivers now right. that I won't even go fish because the chances of catching a fish are so slim. Whereas back then it was a lot of hatchery fish. Don't get me wrong, sure. but at least you would catch fish, you know? So what it does is it takes these anglers now and guides alike, and it piles them up on these rivers where a client comes and says, hey, I want to catch a fish to take home to eat, you know? And so everybody's jammed on these two rivers or however many rivers around your system um, to go fish, you know, for, so they can eat a fish, so they can, you know, they can, they can keep one. So I, I don't know. It's, that's the whole part to me is like, it doesn't spread people out. It, it, it actually condenses people more to fish one fishery to, instead of spreading things out. Right. And it's tough. Cause, because, you know, it, it comes down for ODF and W since they do run hatchery programs. Um, it comes down to them having the available resources to be able to, you know, introduce hatchery fish on some tributaries or, or streams or stuff like that. Um, yeah, a lot of people want to see uh, a lot of wild um, stocks, you know, get left alone. And I'm definitely one of them because I, I mean, I, I love going once I've been had my hatchery um, fill, you know, I've been able to really pursue um, wild fish and you really do get like these amazing genetics. Yeah, you, for sure. No, getting, that's for sure. You're getting, yeah. you know, 30, 35, 40 inch fish um, that you once in a lifetime fish, right? I think we're, I think we can all agree that there at some point we want wild fish 
to be to be wild and for there to be a thriving wild right and i think that's the goal of hatcheries and that's the goal but unless we don't have conservation funding uh sourced outside of hunters and anglers um then it's you know it's we need hatchery fish right now. So. Yeah, I think it's extra special to have a wild fish on a wild river and all that. Well, that's cool. To me, yeah. to me, it's kind of like a remote, like, a remote wilderness with it's a like whatever. backcountry hunting. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Kind yeah. of. It, it, that's right. When I when I grew up, um, in the logging industry, I worked for Blue Ridge Timber. Mm-hmm. Mark Viller is a guy um, out of out of uh, Coos Bay there, and great great guy. But he turned from the logging industry. Uh, and the cutting industry to uh, stream restoration. Yeah. And so I did that for quite a few years in the summertime when you can work in cricks and stuff like that with BLM and with ODF and W and with uh, State Forest and all these biologists. And because and, years ago, we, yeah, unfortunately, it was the, it was the motto of all the, all the uh, woody debris in the creek needs to come out, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, and we did that in, in our logging practices early on, you know, in from the 1800s on pretty much. And it just it, we thought that that, Slash you know, stack, you know, yeah, man, we thought, well, that'll give the fish a straight shot. Right. <laughs> well, it wasn't the case. So right. anyway, the, 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 the streams <laughs> and the creeks and the small trips need all this woody debris. And so we worked at putting all the, you know, logs back in the creek and making log jams and stuff. And it was really, really fun and interesting because you could just see it. I mean, a creek that didn't have any cobble, didn't have any, any rock in it at all, pretty much all bedrock. And then within a year or two years, depending on the you know storm events that happened after we did the wood placement i mean it would stack up gravel you would see like we have pictures of five six seven pairs you know spawning having reds right above right. some yeah it was just so so and, and it honestly had a lot to do with our uh, silver population coming back yeah so i mean it's been it's been a really really cool thing to watch over the years and um anyway hopefully with more practices like that and you know and maybe maybe just like with you guys as far as just advocacy and just being out there and awareness hopefully this will start to like turn around i think so too and it's like touching on you know it kind of goes back to if you care about whatever natural resource that you pursue whether it's hunting fishing elk steelhead sure it's what's good for the watershed which is what's good for the timber mm-hmm. it's good for the river what's good for the river is good for the is good for salmon and steelhead just and a so circular deal it really is yeah. and yeah. so it's like the biggest you know takeaway if anybody takes anything away from this conversation um is to really you know don't don't get the mind, uh, mentality of somebody else is going to do it right mm. somebody else is going to be that voice or somebody else is going to step up and join an organization or somebody else is going to you know, you know, work in conservation or I don't want to be a tree hugger. And it's like, that's not it at all. Yeah. Right. It's mm-hmm. like we need the more voices and the more boots on the ground uh, participation that we can get across the state, across the Pacific Northwest is really going to decide our future um, as hunters and anglers. Mm-hmm. And so that's, you know, that's, that's basically comes down to it. But no, that's cool that you had that experience with um, the Forest Service and uh, ODF and W and, and, and uh, stream restoration. It was fun. Before I did this, before uh, this capacity, I was doing the exact same thing. <coughs> oh, really? Yeah. Cool. With uh, um, Northwest Youth Corps. Nice. Uh, and, and some AmeriCorps stuff. And so we were doing, um, you know, helping out tribes and helping out um, a 
lot of the streams down the coast. So that was, it's a lot of fun to, to watch. It's and cool to see that come full circle. It really it is. It really is cool. And it's like, it's just, it's just funny. Like the mentality of, of practices, you know, 20 years ago versus practices yeah. now. And, you know, we can, I mean, a lot of people might bash like the, the, the logging uh, industry right now, but the Pacific Northwest is, you know, one of the most sustainable areas oh, uh, man. for logging. You know, we've come light years. Oh, uh, huge. Um, and that's what, a direct example of awareness, right? Yeah, exactly. Direct example. Like, I mean, I think back then nobody ever thought about it. I mean, it's just like, yeah, there's wood down there to be gathered. Let's go gather it and right. let's, you know, get money for it. And we're doing the crick a favor. Well, you replant some trees and it's going to come back. Right? Exactly. And it's like, no, exactly. it's like, yeah, run off and, and all that other stuff. But And that's just learning. I mean, that's yeah. just uh, with everything, it, it, whether it be steelhead fishing, whether <laughs> bobber fishing, whatever. It's just learning, you know, the resource and, uh, and the craft of it and so and honing that. So, yeah, no, it's uh, it was a fun time. We had, a, we had a great time. What do you got written down there, Weston? I see a bunch um, of, on your paper there. No, I just one, one thing I <laughs> literally three little, three little questions. That's a lot, though. For you. <laughs> it took you 30 one minutes. was just the web. Website and like something that I think that people really beginning to fish and understand fishing and wanting to go and opportunities is like like I talked about like a fish cast. I don't even know. I'm, I don't know if I'm making this up for somebody to make some money off of it. But if you are listening and you are going to make some money off of it, fishing podcast. I'm sure they'll catch you. No, not a podcast. Maybe a podcast. I don't know. But just like a current event of. All the rivers, yeah, mm. Washington to California, the right. clarity, the levels, everything, and then like um, another thing is, is due to an unfortunate event a couple years ago, I no longer have a drift boat. So, <laughs> oh, like, long story, I, long story, long story. Neither here nor there, but oh, it's there. I'm a, it's, <laughs> it's somewhere gone now. It's but, somewhere. <laughs> um, but like bank fishing for me is yeah. something that's been hard for me to find is well here on the umqua system it's tough i mean mm-hmm. up top yeah you can get like rock creek and stuff but it's a big river yeah and um so for me you know or for the person who's just a nine to five you know employee and right. they have uh mondays and fridays they work so they have mm-hmm. saturdays and sundays to realistically catch a fish correct so a saturday sunday so you, on a saturday sunday you have two days to go catch a fish and if you don't have a boat, and if the rivers or two rivers near you are blown out, so you're going to have to drive an hour. So you're going to have to drive an hour at least to go bank fishing somewhere. So to me, like something that would be cool is like having this is like a, I'm sure there's a pipe dream because of all the everything, but it just having like long stretches of rivers that's accessible to bank fishermen mm-hmm. or at least permission. just a bank fisherman. What, well, Ooh, not just to fired over here. As in, like, problems that I see now is, is like, okay, well, there's a river down here. There's nowhere to park for 10 So miles. you're talking access. I'm talking just access and the availability for people. More opportunities is what I'm talking about. And, there, and there are resources out there you can oh, find, 100%. you know, like on ODFNW, on uh, even ODFNW's access website. Um yeah, I mean, there's you can literally go find USGS maps, but that's hard for somebody that doesn't have the knowledge of really working no, computers and, and stuff. No, and I think and we so. touched on that earlier as far as, yeah, it's definitely, I mean, it's a lot of times it's just like the bow hunting industry. It's who you know, you know, where do I go? Where do I, you know, where do I start to kill, to try to shoot a Roosevelt elk with my bow? 
well, you're not going to start right on I-5. You're not going to, you know, here and there. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just the same thing with the river. Um, but, but yeah, it, it's a uh, growing up like all of us, uh, you know, we around it and stuff. It's like, okay, we're going to put in it. We're going to put it, uh, the, the guardrail or whatever. And then right. we're going to float down to seven or what you, whatever. Um, but you know, with someone new, which, which is cool that I hear you guys, that's what you're kind of just, you know, advocating is getting new people out there. That's pretty awesome. That's yeah. really awesome. I think it's really cool. And, and kind of going back to what Wes was saying, you know, it's like, Go look at a river. Um, you can type in like, so I, I guess fishing opportunities are, I would at least say just from what you guys, I mean, you guys have a, a lot of great river systems down here and a lot of great fishing opportunity, yeah. but like the Portland metro area has pretty decent amount too. I mean, we have like the Sandy, the Clackamas, mm-hmm. uh, you go out to the Wilson and we have the entire Tillamook Bay area, you know, and it's that whole fishery is like, there's, you know, I could name off about 15 or 20 different streams and rivers that you can go and just like hop on the bank. And so that's my favorite type of fishing. I don't have a boat. Right. I have, that's, I bank fish. I go up in canyons and I love, you know, pocket water. Um, and it just goes back to like exactly what you're saying, Trent, like getting out and doing it. Yeah. Grab Breaking a rod. Down the barriers. Does, does not even matter. Like, even if you like grab your rod, grab whatever setup you want to do. And, and you have to, I, th- I think and that I, upsets me so much because you know how much time I got to put in. And here's the other thing too, is you have to add when you first start, even when you're, you know, advanced in it, you have to be able to accept failure. Yeah, you have true. to. Oh my God. Yeah. You know how many times I went on the river and didn't catch anything? Didn't catch squat, but you had a great time, the right. scenery and everything. I mean, there's more to hunting than killing an elk. There's more to fishing than catching a fish. Right. I'm on it's my second out. year bow hunting for elk and I still haven't, I haven't shot one yet. So. But you love it. I've, I love it. I shot my first deer though this year. That's awesome. With my bow. That's Sweet. awesome. So my first deer actually in general, I only started hunting about like 40 years ago. Oh, so, good. Yeah. Really so you're breaking about. down some barriers. Yeah. I so mean, I'm like, I'm a, I don't know, uh, what's it called? Uh, a case study for case. that. <laughs> <laughs> like I just like. That wouldn't have been the word I would have used, <laughs> but yeah, it works, I guess. I don't that know. Works. But uh, yeah, like it's. I mean, I moved to Oregon, not really knowing anybody, especially within the hunting community. And right. I was like, I want to do this. And yeah. Taught yourself how? Yeah. That's awesome. That's so. awesome. And, and fishing can be the same way. Uh, there's a lot of things out there. Like I was saying yeah. before, there's a ton of stuff out there to um, to go and learn before you even get to a body of water. Right. I mean, really. And for resource-wise, like ODFNW has some great, um, really affordable options. We have a, a Northwest dealers have some really affordable options that we even partner with ODFNW that will literally give you all the tools and resources to, to get out. Uh, Do you guys it, have a social media presence? Yeah. I mean, Facebook and stuff like that yeah. and Instagram. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's okay. what you opened up the podcast. No, I, I, well, I heard, <laughs> I heard, I heard dot org and I'm like, okay, we need, we need like, are we posting pictures of people's fish and stuff like all that the all time? the time? At least, at least now, okay. um, <laughs> the last couple of years have been kind of, uh, where are we going as steelheaders? Gotcha. I just started on as the executive director in August. So we've made a lot of great strides to really have a, uh, a, a, a social media and online presence and we're heading in that right direction. And so, yeah, we're posting all the time, Good. uh, you know, and it's even, we had our, uh, a steelhead one one clinic in the beginning of December where there was barely any, I think the reports on the Sandy river were like three fish. Um, and over a two day weekend, we actually, we had like 50 people come out, learn, learn about steelhead. Uh, and against all those odds, we actually had one person, one person catch their first fish and they've been like so trying cool. to catch steelhead for like the last two years. The dude had all of his gear and it was just 
like you could just see the excitement in his face. It was the coolest thing. That's cool to yeah, see. That's yeah. And you guys work a lot with kids too. You were saying, and yep. uh, stalking ponds, just get them out there for their first time. And I bet that's pretty cool to watch their excitement. Yeah. We after get tying into it. What are those giants? <laughs> like brooders. Yeah. yeah. It's uh we're able to, you know, have like a three day weekend for family fish camp where we bring out, um, about, I don't know, 50 families, um, and actually are able to stock a pond. Um, and everybody goes home catching fish, whether it's like a, uh, you know, a 12 inch, you know, trout or, you know, we, we definitely nice trout. Oh, it's a great trout. Yeah. Great eater. Right. Yeah. Oh, Um, absolutely. And, but we do put a little, um, I don't know, probably a couple dozen brooders in there, which are anywhere from like five to like eight pounds. So you're just like, you see like a a five-year-old kid reeling in like an eight pound fish and it's like the funniest, but the coolest thing. The coolest thing. Yeah. 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 (laughs) And two, I think you made a great point there. I know it's called Northwest Steelheads, but it's, trout is a huge thing. I mean, yeah, we kind of pigeonhole ourselves with that name. A little bit. A little bit. We actually like, you know, and especially for like hunting and fishing communities, like fishing is almost like, quote unquote, like the gateway drug, right? Mm-hmm. Towards the outdoors. Yeah. And so it's like, we're going to support, and we also work on conservation, supporting all watersheds and Absolutely. all watersheds within Oregon, literally house trout, steelhead, walleye, you know, a little bit of everything, sturgeon. So it's, yeah. And there's some great opportunity there. Like, I mean, it, catching your first steelhead is, is a feat, you know, but going out in the summertime, wading in the creek or something and catching a couple, yeah, bass fishing, (laughs) trout fishing or something like that. That could be a huge gateway into, I would say steelhead is kind of the pinnacle. One of the top, you know, steelhead and salmon, any of the salmonids are probably, you know, the top of catching, but yeah, taking kids out there and just having them do it. Having or even do adults. It. I don't, it doesn't yeah. matter. But well, I mean, it's too. And like a lot of these families that come out, we specifically look for families that don't have a background in fishing. And so nice. a lot of these um, parents too are, are catching fish for their first time, which is really awesome. That's and really then cool. they're learning how to like, you know, fillet and clean a fish. And then we're giving them recipes to go home and take home their fish. And then they're able to learn how to tie knots and, and learn a little bit about fly fishing and just a little bit That's awesome. about everything under the sun for fishing. So it's really, really cool. That's awesome, man. That's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. What else do you want to get after? I don't know. I covered all my berries. <laughs> checked off all the boxes. Sounds like you need to come down here and go fishing with us. Yeah. I think that might have to happen. That'd yeah. be pretty cool, especially as uh, the steelhead season kind of ramps up a little if bit. If this for water sure. would ever clear. Yeah, that'd be awesome. After duck duck season dies down. I really started getting into duck season this Oh, year. have you done a lot of that? I've Not a lot. I've been out like a half a dozen times. Oh, wow. But gone birds almost each time, and so like I'm hooked into that now. And so be I'm careful; like, that's even more expensive than steelhead fishing. I know. I'm just like, <laughs> that's more expensive than hunting elk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was fortunate that somebody like stopped hunting because their dog died. Oh, and they're they're like, here, you can just have all my decoys. And I was like, that's all a right. big. That's a thanks. Big, wow, that's a big jump. Right so there. like, yeah. I'm just like, all right, I have no excuse now. So like, go. I've been going out, and that's been a ton of fun. But once that once that's over. I'm fishing. Steal that time. Steal that time. Until turkeys come around. Oh, here we go. It's oh, a whole different oh, podcast. Whole different podcast. <laughs> no. Uh, man, I just appreciate you coming down, Chris. And, no, I appreciate and it. Thank you guys so much. Taking the time to do this with us. Let's do it one more time. Go over. Where, where can people get on? Yep. Uh, so Northwest Steel Hutters or Association of Northwest Steel Hutters. Uh, go to uh, NW Nor- or. NWSteelheaders.org is our website. 
Um, if you look up Northwest Steel Headers on, uh, on Instagram, Northwest Steel Headers on Facebook and on Twitter, um, we're all there. Sweet. Yeah. Sweet. Weston, anything else? No, let's get some fish. Yeah, no, and I, and I would challenge anybody listening to this. You know, if it's been a hankering of yours for a while, just to get out there and do something different and have a pastime in the wintertime when it's kind of dull and and rainy and stuff like that, hit a river. Go, go, go. Try to go fish and go. Just get out and 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 do something that maybe is a little uncomfortable. And you never know. You might tie into a fish of a lifetime. You never know. Hell yeah. So, Hell yeah. thanks, brother, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, guys.